Today on Let the Bible Speak. After a hard day's work in a neighbor's field, Ruth not only brought home food for that day, she reaped an eternal fortune. And welcome to the program today. It's good to be with you as always. Thanks for joining me for Let the Bible Speak. We've come to a turning point in the great drama known as the Book of Ruth. We're spending several weeks in this wonderful book of the Old Testament, not only because of the practical lessons it teaches and illustrates for us, but also because of the important theological truths it sets forth. Over the past three weeks, we focused on the warnings and practical inspiration the story of Naomi and Ruth provides, but today, we will see another purpose behind this important book, the revelation of God's Son, and an important foregleam of the redemption that He brought to earth when He came. We stayed in chapter 1. Today, though, as we turn the page to chapter 2, God turns the page of Ruth's life to a whole new chapter as well. Let's read Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, his name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Well, this short scene was the beginning of a great love story, not only between two unlikely people, but a love story between God and His people. I'll explain in our lesson today. So far we've learned about the times that try us as well as the choices that condemn us and the decisions that destine us. Today we see the love that lifts us. And I'll return with our study in a moment. Worship the Lord, He is worthy of praise. Sing to Him now a new song.
was quite a commotion at the gates of Bethlehem as Naomi returned after ten long and hard years away in Moab. The people surely must have wondered what had happened to this family after they had left during the famine ten years before. A strong and able man, along with his lovely and pleasant wife and their two sons, walked out of the city gates one day to go find relief from the famine in another land. But now only Naomi returns, a childless widow, and the pain of regret and hardship written across her once youthful and pretty face. With her was a young Gentile woman, an idolater from the enemy country of Moab named Ruth, with whom we became acquainted last week. Somewhere along the road to Bethlehem, Ruth had made up her mind to leave her family and her home, her former life behind, and to find a new existence with Naomi and among her people, the Jews, in Bethlehem. Now, it would not be easy for her, but she was determined to discover the faith of her mother-in-law and her late husband and to worship the God of Israel for the remaining days of her life. As for Naomi, she was finally home and she could begin to try to put the pieces of her shattered life back together. But everything seemed against her. She came back in bankruptcy and poverty. She certainly had a broken heart having buried her husband and, or her husband and two sons in a foreign land, their graves in a distant place. She had no means of support as a woman without a husband or children to provide for. Such a woman was in a desperate condition back in that day. And Naomi believed that in all of this, God himself was against her. It would seem that way if you were in her shoes, and that's how she felt. The Bible tells us in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 19, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? How different she must have looked after all of this time. But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. That means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Naomi may have thought that God was against her, and it surely seemed that way. But little did she understand just how much the Lord actually loved her and how he was about to lift her out of the shadows and give her a new start and a new life, along with her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. In fact, God was about to use this Gentile woman as the channel of blessing, not only for Naomi, but for the whole world. And that's one of the most thrilling things about this little short story contained in the book of Ruth. Never forget that God can take unfortunate and sometimes even sinful and foolish situations and turn them around and use them for his purposes and for his glory. And for all of the heartache and sorrow Elimelech and Naomi may have invited into their lives over the past 10 years, God now takes his pen and he dips it in the well of his grace and he writes the story of redemption on the dark background of Naomi's broken life. A new day dawned when Ruth one day went out to find a field in which to gather barley. Naomi and Ruth had come to Bethlehem all because of the message that had come to Naomi one day in Moab, you remember, that God had visited his people in giving them bread. In other words, she learned that God had at last brought an end to that awful famine that had afflicted Bethlehem these many years. And so she had gone home. The rains had finally come. The crops had finally begun to grow. The golden harvest was ripe. And for the first time in a decade, Bethlehem Judah would experience a plentiful crop. It was the time of the harvest when Ruth and Naomi returned. In fact, the Bible tells us it was the beginning of the barley harvest that year. 
And the Bible says that one day Ruth went out to glean in the fields. Now this means that she and Naomi were poor and they were at the mercy of the wealthy landowners of the town. Naomi may have come home and, and Ruth may have begun a new chapter in her life, but that doesn't mean that all was well and that everything was restored to the way things were when Elimelech and Naomi were a happy family before the famine and before they left. Oh no. The famine and their departure to Moab had left Naomi not only a childless widow, it had left her bankrupt and destitute. And that's where sin and apostasy leave many souls today. Sin and trying to live without God exacts its price and leaves the one who left home looking for pleasure or gain empty and spiritually bankrupt. This is where Naomi is physically and financially and she's depressed about her spiritual life as well. So the only hope they have is for Ruth, the younger and stronger of the two, to fall at the mercy of her neighbors and try to find a field in which to glean the leftover barley. Now this brings up an important facet of the story and an important point overall. God cares about the poor. God has always loved and been concerned about the poor. So much so that He has always made provision in His law in one way or another for the poor. Christians today, for example, are commanded to be empathetic and compassionate toward those who have less and to help those that we have the opportunity to help along life's way. Jesus, in fact, said that every Christian will answer in the judgment for how we treated the hungry and naked and imprisoned, according to Matthew, the 25th chapter. And back here under the Old Covenant, God made provision for those who fell upon hard times as well. Back in that day, a landowner would hire workers to go out and gather the stalks by hand. They would go out and take a sickle with a flint blade and they would grab a handful of stalks with their hand and then with their other hand take the sickle and cut those stalks and they would take these handfuls and bundle them together in sheaves and then take them to the threshing floor to make grain. Now Moses' law instructed the farmers not to harvest everything in their fields. They were commanded to leave the corners or the hard to reach places for the poor. We read about that in Leviticus chapter 19. It says there in verses 9 and 10, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Well, that act of mercy saved many a life in that dispensation. The poor depended upon it. Now notice the poor had to go glean. They had to go and work to gather the stalks. But it was incumbent upon those who had to make some provision for those who had not. We don't live under the law of Moses today and most of us don't have fields to reap. But this expresses a principle, I believe, that we should keep in mind as we reap in our fields of life and industry, so to speak. We should always bear in mind the poor and the less fortunate and make provision to help people as we can out of the abundance of the things that God allows us to have. We ought to have hearts that are overflowing with compassion for people who are poor and destitute. And I think we'll answer to God if we don't. Well, Ruth sets out one day to find food under the provision of that law. She goes out to glean in some neighbor's field. The Bible uses an interesting phrase in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 3 saying, Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. 
Now, this statement makes it sound as though it was purely a coincidence that Naomi came to the field of Boaz. We'll talk a little more about that next week, the Lord willing, but it wasn't really coincidence. No, it was from a human perspective. No one, in other words, directed Ruth to Boaz's field. Nobody told her that it would be to her advantage to go to that field specifically. From her vantage point, she just happened to find herself there. That's from her perspective. But God has a different perspective on the matter, and her going there was most certainly providential. And that's how providence occurs. That's how it works. We don't realize that something is providentially taking place. Providence takes place behind the scenes, and it's known to the mind of God. And in this case, God was weaving together another scene in the grand drama of the ages, His plan of salvation. Again, more about that next week. Today, though, let us see how her wandering in the field of Boaz changed her life and what that means to us spiritually today. You see, not only did God have this provision of the fields for the poor, He also had another law that protected families who fell on hard times, and that is the law of the Goel, or the kinsman redeemer. Notice how the Bible emphasizes that Boaz was of the family of Elimelech. Now, he was likely a nephew of Elimelech, and the Bible portrays him as a very wealthy and prominent man in the village of Bethlehem. The word goel refers in some places to a defender or an avenger or, as in this case, a redeemer. God's laws concerning a goel or a kinsman redeemer and the Leverite marriage amounted to this. If a family went bankrupt and lost their land or a man died, a near relative was to then step in and buy back the property to redeem it, in other words. He was then to marry the widow of his dead relative and raise up children with her so that the family name and the family line would continue. Now God, of course, here was dealing with a human family in that dispensation, and so the law that governed them made such provisions for the family's survival and continuation. Well, Ruth, dead Elimelech's daughter-in-law, happens into the field of Elimelech's nephew or cousin Boaz and finds barley to glean. And something wonderful then happens to her because of this and because of these great laws in God's system. Boaz takes special notice of her. He finds out who she is and he finds out how she had cared for, for Naomi after the death of Elimelech. And her faithfulness and goodness caused him to show incredible kindness to her. He instructed his workers to not only leave her alone and allow her to continue gleaning, but he tells them to let extra grain fall from their bundles on purpose and not to rebuke her for picking it up. He even had her to sit and eat with he and his workers, and he gave her a bag of leftovers to take home with her that night. In other words, she had a wonderful day. Boaz could not have been more generous and compassionate and caring toward her. When she came home, came home that night, Naomi was very eager to learn where she had been and how the day had gone. Ruth had brought all of, this, uh, all of these stalks of barley back, and Ruth excitedly told her about the good fortune she had had in this wealthy man's field. She showed her all of the stalks she had been allowed to gather and the loaves of bread that she had been sent home with. And Naomi wants to know where all of this came from. She asked, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with who she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. 
Now, when she said Boaz, Naomi, I guess, did a double take. I, I would assume she was thinking to herself, if she didn't say it out loud, uh, Ruth, his name may not mean much to you, but dear, it means everything to me. We're related to him. Oh, this couldn't be any better. You see, she understood the law of Moses and the provision of the kinsman redeemer and the Leverite marriage. And so she very wisely hatches a plan to put this wealthy bachelor of Bethlehem together with this little maid from Moab. And so she tells her, and I'm paraphrasing now, she tells her, now, sweetie, here's what you do. You go in there and you take a good bath and you get all cleaned up. You put on your prettiest dress. You uh, dab on some Chanel number no. five. And you slip down there this evening when he's finished working. And here's what you do. When he eats his supper and he lays down to sleep at the threshing floor to protect his harvest, you wait until he falls asleep. And then you quietly and carefully go and uncover his feet. And don't let someone lead your mind off into the gutter. The word feet here means feet and nothing else. You lift up his garment to uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. And he'll tell you what to do from there. Now, there was nothing sensual in any of this. It was all symbolic custom. In fact, it was her way of appealing to him to step in and fill the role of the kinsman redeemer to ask him to buy back their land and to take Ruth as his wife and to care for her and raise up a family in the stead of Malon, her deceased husband, with whom she had not been able to have any children. It's actually a beautiful picture from that ancient culture. Ruth chapter 3 and verse 9, she even tells him uh, that she wants to come under your wing. That's what this symbolized when she uncovered his feet and lay at his feet. It was symbolizing that she wanted to come under his protection and that she wanted to take advantage of the redemption that was offered to her through him in the law. But that picture and that symbol is especially beautiful when you consider what it represents for us. Now we'll show you more about how this all unfolded next week, Lord willing, but to make the story short, Boaz found Naomi at his feet that night and he lovingly agreed to do what she asked and to restore her family and to marry her. So they have now fallen in love and on the morrow, Boaz will go down to the town gates to set things in motion to make Ruth his beloved wife and to restore the lost and broken estate of Naomi and her family. Now there were at least three qualifications for one to be a kinsman redeemer. Not just anybody could fill this role. Number one, a person had to be worthy to be the kinsman redeemer. He had to meet the requirements of the law, and that is he had to be kin. And not only that, he had to be wealthy. He not only had to be worthy and wealthy, he also had to be willing. He had to be worthy. In other words, the goel of the redeemer had to be related to the one whose property he was redeeming. He had to be a near relative. He also had to be wealthy. He had to have the financial means to buy the property and be in a position to marry the widow. And thirdly, he had to be willing to marry her and redeem the land. Well, Boaz was a near relative of Elimelech. He was wealthy and a prominent citizen of the town, and he certainly had the means to redeem the land. And he was very willing to reach deep not only into the storehouse of his wealth, but also deep into the depths of his heart to save his family and take Ruth to be his bride. Do you see a picture in this? Do you see what God and his law was foreshadowing? 
Do you see not only the love story of Boaz and Ruth, but also another and far greater love story here? Is this not what Jesus, our heavenly Boaz, has done for his people? You see, that's one reason that God became flesh. It's why Jesus, the Son of God, one day laid his heavenly glory aside and came walking down the starry stairway of heaven into this dark and sinful world. It's why he, the eternal and glorious one who made the worlds, condescended to human form and entered the very time and space that he created through the portal of a virgin's womb. He became one of us. The Hebrew writer so beautifully states in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. You see, Jesus is our Goel. He is our kinsman redeemer. And more than 1,000 years before he came, the Holy Spirit painted His portrait for us in the story of Boaz and Ruth. Our Lord met the very same qualifications that Boaz had to meet. Jesus became a man, and He identified with the human family in His flesh. He was legally worthy. He was oh so wealthy. He who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and owns the wealth of all the worlds came and poured out the most precious thing he had to redeem our poor and broken souls, his blood, his life's blood. And thank God he was willing. No one constrained him to come to the world and died upon the cross. Nobody earned his favor and his grace and merited his coming and suffering the cruel torture and agony of the cross. His own love and His devotion to the Father is all that constrained Him to come and to suffer. And today in Christ, we have gained a million times over anything and everything we lost through sin. He wants to be your Redeemer. He is lovingly willing to step in and pay the price to redeem your lost soul. You lost everything because of sin. You stand spiritually bankrupt before God and condemned to hell because of sin. You have no price in your hand. You have nothing to bring except a broken heart and a broken soul to lay at the feet of Jesus and to give to Him, to take refuge under His wing, to let Him redeem and restore you and by His grace make you what He wants you to be. And He's willing to do that if you're willing to come and obey the conditions of His gospel, if you'll put your faith in Him, repent of your sins, confess that He is the Christ, and be buried with Him in baptism, to have your sins washed away by the power of His blood, and rise to walk in newness of life, to be redeemed, born again, and start life anew. So you see, the story of Ruth is like other great sagas of Scripture, orchestrated by the all-wise and loving God, who in all things is working toward one great purpose, the redemption of His fallen people and the restoration of His perfect kingdom after the fall and ruination of sin. That's the love that lifts us, just like it lifted Ruth and Naomi from their broken and impoverished state. Next week, the Lord willing, we'll move from the love that lifts us to talk about the providence that provides for us. And I'll return in just a moment. To a world steeped in darkness of
Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see all of our past broadcasts plus extra videos including Let the Bible Speak classics all the way back to the 1960s. And get new updates, go to YouTube and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and click on subscribe. Connect with us on social media. Go to Facebook.com and search for Let the Bible Speak TV. If the Lord wills, we will spend one more week in the book of Ruth talking about the providence that provides for us. It's amazing how God has, through the ages, woven together the story of redemption. And our story of Ruth illustrates that as well as any. So I hope that you will be with us for that study next week. In the meantime, if you'd like a free printed copy of our lesson today, get in touch with us and ask for the lesson, The Love That Lifts Us. The Love That Lifts Us. It's from the Bread in Bethlehem series on the book of Ruth. It's yours for the asking. Thank you again for joining me today. I hope you'll tell your friends and neighbors about Let the Bible Speak and make your plans to be with me next time, if the Lord wills. Until then, may God richly bless you, and I hope you have a wonderful week ahead. We'll see you next time. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.